awareness is the first one. You got to even state this tendency to your team and to the people around you. Just say, hey, if you recognize that I'm doing this, just know that it's something I'm working on. I'm aware that I do it. But man, when you're trying to get through the last month of a quarter and it's been two months since we got to like start new ideas, I'm the last guy you want. I'm Johnny Page. I'm Matt Verlet. And this is the South County Podcast. What's up, Matt Verlack? We're back for another episode of the SaaS Academy podcast. And today we're going to talk about one of the most destructive and sad behaviors I've seen our founders they go through. And one, I'll just say full disclaimer, one that I have done myself. It is the like the Achilles heel. It is seeing a founder stop doing something that is working to go do a new thing. And uh, I think, you know, Matt, you've seen a fair bit of this yourself, like this destructive behavior. Let's talk about what causes it. How do we avoid it? How do we recognize when we're doing it? Yeah, let's use that as our jumping off point. There's a lot there, man. Before we talk about that, I want to talk about something else. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to talk about acorns. But here's the thing is, I think this is a brain game, right? Like entrepreneurs, founders by design seek novelty and seek challenges and you know have that mindset where it's like yo burn the boats i'm gonna go start this thing and it's a blessing and a curse but it quickly stops being a blessing and starts being a curse once you've started the thing and so i think that just psychologically we think we want to go seek novelty and we enjoy the feeling of the unknown and doing something yeah. new and not knowing if it's going to work and then what ends up happening is something starts working and you're like, oh, sick, I have a business. I have an acquisition channel. I have a sales process. I have this, I have that. How can I grow the business? Let me go try something else. And you just, you seek that same emotional feeling of trying a new thing that's not going to work where really the thing that will actually grow the business is doing more of the thing that started to work. It's depth over breadth. That doesn't mean that you never like diversify strategies. And I'll talk about later would probably need to be true or a way to think about when it's time to do something else in addition to what you're doing now. But the crux of this dude is a lot of the founders I coach, I have this conversation over and over. I've probably had this conversation two dozen times. Be like, man, Matt, my growth is plateaued. Cool. How many customers do you have? 50. Well, out of those 50, where did you get them? Well, I found the last 30 from partnerships. Awesome. What are you doing with partners right now? Ah, oh, nothing. I'm, you know, I'm really, I'm doing cold outbound. Okay. So <laughs> did partnerships stop working? No, not really. I just, I, I figured I should do cold, you know, cause I want to grow the business. Like, okay. So you got the most majority of your customers from partnerships. And the next move was to stop doing the thing that got you most of your customers to go do an untested strategy that is not working for you. And you're not sure why you're not growing. Well, it's not where it starts, right? Because they want they think they can do both, right? They right. think that they can keep partners running and do cold. And then you look up and you just left partners. You stopped. And, you stopped the they, channel. They skipped working. over. Yeah, like to skip to the end. Like you skipped over the the step. You know, Marcel Petipal, one of our coaches and the CEO of Parakeeto, like he has a, this beautiful framework. He applies it to marketing, but it's really true of anything, right? Where it's like you build it, you operationalize it and document it. You assign it to a person you make sure it's working and that person owns it. And when all of those things are true, then you have earned the right to go do another thing on top of it because the first thing is still going to be working. The problem is yeah. most people skip those last couple things, assign it to a person, make sure it's optimized. And it's like, do the thing. Cool. It works. All right. I'm bored with that. I'm going to go do this other thing. That'll keep going. But there's not a plan to do the thing or they don't realize that like 
you trying to do 57 different strategies yourself at the same time is always never going to work. And it just yeah. it needs focus to grow. Like these things need focus to grow. We're not superheroes. We're human beings yeah. building companies, you know? Yeah. Dude, I'll tell you the, the time dude. when I realized I was doing this, it took me a lot. So first off, it's hard to recognize that you do it if you are on a small team because yeah. the shrapnel is kind of like... You could see it in your inbox or in your notes file. If you look back at your calendar and you see all the stuff that you've been working on, like you could see some of it, but without people around you that that are on the receiving end of this like, you know, shiny object syndrome, it's harder to see. And it took me a long time to recognize I was doing it. It wasn't until I hired someone, her name was Mackenzie, we called her Mac, that she was very, very like high on follow through. There's a great I can't remember the name of the test. What's the the assessment, the Colby A assessment. Mm, it, it'll yeah, assess like a like, quick start or a follow through like that, yes. that thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm high on quick start. I like to start stuff, I like to have a big vision for it. But I like, would have guessed <laughs> the, the, the time that it takes, to, like actually see that come to life. Like you actually don't spend most of your time in start mode. You spend most of your time in follow through and execution mode. And to build a great business, you really got to like you, the majority of your time is spent there. Yeah. And it wasn't until I had someone that was very high on follow through that made me start to realize how many projects we were starting and not finishing. So I developed the thing saying like, look, I've always got to, I need to work with Max. Like I got to have someone like Mac in my world that keeps me focused on the main thing. And over time, if, if, kind of reined in this your desire to start new projects rather than finish them but it can be hard man i think that fomo leads a lot to you feel like hey if i don't do this i'm leaving opportunity on the you can make a great case for starting something new we're actually incredible at it (laughs) it's what gets our companies funded or you know team members to come join us but you very easily talk ourselves into another distraction and instead of getting great results who just exchanged you know one set of hard work for another set of hard work and the tricky thing about it i had this conversation with someone on our team yesterday the tricky thing about it is it can be a great idea but a great idea that would work in the isolated evaluation of that idea applied within the greater context like every time you say yes to something you're saying no to something right so you can have something that absolutely will work and be a great idea but the cost of executing on it from what you're taking away from something else you're actually losing more than you're gaining Right. And it's like yeah. being able to see that context is the missing link. So I'm a follow through guy. This is why you and I work really well together. And I know how I approach this, but I think that's actually less interesting to the people listening to this. Cause I think most of the people listening to this are like you, right? Quick starts, all oh, thousand ideas, just brimming with creativity. How do you harness yourself? Like, how did you conquer your own brain? to follow through on things. Cause you're not bad at it now. You're pretty solid on following through on stuff, you know? And so like, how yeah. did you get there from where you used to be? Yeah, well, part of it is like by necessity, like you just have to develop the skill if you're going to be successful. Awareness is the first one, the first step. Like you got to recognize that you're doing this. Let's name it. You call it shiny object syndrome, call it a, a squirrel moment. Like you, your team, you got to even state this tendency to your team and to the people around you. Just say, Hey, if you recognize that I'm doing this, just know that it's something I'm working on. I'm aware that I do it. It is a superpower at times. I'm the guy you want in the room when you're like out of ideas. But man, yeah. when you're like, you know, trying to get through the last month of a quarter and it's been two months since we got to like start new ideas, I'm the last guy you want in the room. <laughs> so if I started coming in like Wreck It Ralph and trying to deploy new stuff, you let me know and we'll work to each other's strength. So I think, yeah, the first one is just an awareness that you do it, communicate it out to your team. And then second is intentionally hiring people that are high on follow through. Like the company yeah. needs both and an awareness around who's the right person in the right seat is pretty important.
Dude, this reminded me, I just pulled it up. Heaton Shaw from Kissmetrics. He wrote this article. It went viral when he wrote it called My Billion Dollar Mistake. We'll put it in the show notes. But he had this thing where he say he would he would come into a meeting and he called it a heat and bomb. He would just show up and just like drop a bomb on someone and everyone would be like, oh, the CEO said we got to go do this. We're going to set this down and do that and hurry up and all this chaos. And it's like this, his article walks through among other things, like his just realization about becoming aware of that behavior and that it usually was not helpful. It was a net negative on the team, like all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a great article. We'll link it up in the notes, but I love it. It's really interesting the way you sequenced it too, right? Where you're like, when you're out of ideas, I'm the guy, but when you're trying to get things across the finish line, I'm the last guy you want. Just keep me out of the room and, and go get after it. That was, that was a pretty self-aware statement, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's just, you got to develop uh, an appreciation for saying no, not right now. Like sometimes time, you'll let, just recognize that you're going to be an ideas machine and create a notes file, create a parking lot for them. And the ones yeah. that last, sometimes the thing that I've observed too is like the really good ideas are the ones that I set down and they just kept coming back, kept coming back. It's like, okay, I can't see around this. You can have recency bias that if there's not enough friction, you just go with the last good idea you've had. And yes. instead, there should be the right amount of friction to say, oh, no, I'm going with the idea that I, I've been thinking about this thing for months, for quarters. Like I've seen this over and over again. And you, the conviction for you and for the team, the evidence builds over time. So like the friction's not always a bad thing. The first time I heard someone say that, I thought it was crazy. And I'll tell you exactly where it was. And, and it was in a book. It was one of the books that the guys from Basecamp put out, Jason Fried and, and DHH. And Rework. They, they were talking about how they manage their backlog. And, and the, the summary is, the delete key is pretty much how I manage the backlog. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I'm keeping track of all this stuff. I'm gonna get rid of all, this whole list of crap, and the important stuff will bubble back up to the surface again and again, and it will be unignorable. It'll be obvious the thing you need to go solve. Same thing you said, man. I was like, that's terrifying, and also probably true. And yeah. I like I read that, and I was like, it was one of those things that that challenged my belief, but I also like logically was like, ah, this is probably right, and I just stopped really worrying about. Backlog, long-term backlogs, you know, all that product management stuff. I was like, it's going to look at the big buckets of stuff that I can't ignore because the customers keep throwing it at me. And that's probably the right stuff to build. And it was, yeah. you know, super yeah. simple. Yeah. So I think yeah, it's, it's, good advice, of, it, it's like supply and demand, like demand. It is demand. Like it is demanding. The opportunity is demanding your attention that you supply time, attention, effort to go solve that thing. It's not a fleeting one time. We thought this was a good idea or we heard, listened to it on a podcast. So like we should be doing that too. Those ones, especially if you're, I found I love learning. And so I'm constantly listening to podcasts and you can go to events and just soak up tons of new information. And if you don't have that practice of like, hey, I'm going to let this sit. And the thing that comes back that still feels urgent a week after the event or a week after I watch the video, or two weeks after like now the enduring ideas are the ones that demand attention. But yeah, man, this, I think it was, it was good to call out some of the attention. Matt, anything else you coach your founders through? Like when you see them chasing the shiny object, to overcome this quick start. Yeah. Yeah. There's one. And if you're listening to this and you're more like the Matt Verlax of the world and less like the Johnny pages of the world, like we'll flip the script for a second. This is how I, as an operator, as a follow through person, this is how I, I tame my quick start friends. Right. And, and keep them focused on the mission. The answer is in the metrics and the data that you have. Right. Because to use acquisition channels as the example, 
it's very easy to have the conversation with someone if they're really excited about this other channel, just to beat up that example for a minute, be like, hey, this first channel, look at all that it's doing for us. Have we tapped this channel out? No? Okay. If you go work on this other thing, who's working on that? Oh, All right. So then like, how much of this can we afford to lose? If this channel decreases by 50%, are you confident that this new thing will make up for that 50% decrease plus? Like, is this a good bet? And if you can, not with hyperbole, but with actual numbers, if you can bring that to the discussion. A lot of the times, again, you guys are founders, you're smart, you can listen to reason, you see the numbers, you're like, all right, that's probably true. And you just start asking better questions. It doesn't mean that you don't go do the other channel, but it might mean how long do I have to wait or what revenue metric do I have to achieve to go hire someone to take care of this first channel so we can go unlock the second one? Like that's a high quality question, but you don't get there without the data that lets you set the goals or set the hurdles that you need to unlock hires or resources or budget or whatever. So I just think knowing the numbers, because like without the data, the loudest voice in the room wins. And to be real about it, like most CEOs are quick starts. Most CEOs are brimming with ideas. And in the absence of data, most CEOs will have the loudest voice in the room and they will win and everyone else will not win. And so I think like if, if you're not a CEO, particularly if you're not a CEO, bring the data, have a really good line of reasoning if you truly believe that doing an idea is damaging. And just, we call it in our company, turning the lights on, right? Like we got to turn the lights on on the decision so we can look around the room and see what we're really doing. If you build that muscle, especially the later stage company, if you build that muscle, you will empower everybody around you to make really high quality decisions without them having to become the data-driven metrics nerd, follow-through savant. Like they're yeah. not that person. But if you can, you get to help everyone make good decisions. So yeah. that's you know, the other funny. side of the point. It's not, it's not what I thought you were going to say. Although I should have guessed that you'd bring this back to the numbers because <laughs> we don't make it through very many conversations without you being like, let me pull so, up a spreadsheet. Dude, I'm curious. What did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say like writing it down, writing down mm-hmm. all the decisions that we made. Let's go back to, we, in fact, we call Matt the, the chief writer downer. Like he, he's, he, <laughs> if you haven't heard him in the background taking notes on this, like that keyboard sounds like a hurricane's running through the, uh, the room because of how furiously he types. But you know, whether it's through meeting, follow-up notes of logging our commitments and the decisions that we made, like you writing things down, taking verbal commitments and turning them into written commitments, and then keeping the list of like, this is the stuff we said we do this year, this quarter, this week, this month. It helps that, you know, keep that executional discipline front and center when uh, I don't think that's a place that I, I naturally live. I like, you know, I like thinking about what could we be doing that we're not doing. And yeah, it's, it's part, kudos. It's part of what makes us a, a great team. But yeah, the yeah. written commitments are are huge for that as well. And of course, the data is as well. I mean, it's hard to ignore making a good business case for why should we stay the course? Yeah, no doubt. Or why should we depart the course? I think they're, the truth is in the data in either direction, you know, because the, the opposite is true, which is probably a topic for another episode. But there's a point of diminishing returns around like, do what you say you're going to do, right? Like you have to leave yourself space to get smarter. And so I love the writing down example and the making sure we know what our commitments were. But I think it it still comes back to the the performance data of being able to realize like, when is a strategy so good that you would be irresponsible to turn it off? Yeah. Or when is a strategy so unperformant that you would be irresponsible to not turn it off, right? At what point do you have to set the goal down? You know, I'm, I'm going to do outbound, but like, man, if you're going hardcore, 100%, leaning into the strategy with everything you got, no distractions, resources, help, budget, the whole nine, and you do it for months and it doesn't work, 
it might be the strategy. Like that's not the first lever I pull. It's it's usually the person, the system, the process, the approach, the knowledge. There's usually something yeah. else. But if you exhaust that whole list, you got to know when to turn something off too. So I think it's 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 true on both sides. But being able to track the numbers and the and the data and the results, like that's what unlocks those decisions being intelligent. So yeah, I mean, well, the right amount of process and the right amount of friction make sure that there's a really deep conviction of the new direction, and it's not just something yeah. based on like recency. Like yeah, there's yeah. a mountain to climb here. If you want to distract this from the plan, that does it doesn't seem mean that there's not a place and a time for that, but. You have to check some boxes before we get there. Otherwise, like, you know, the checks and balances are in place on purpose. And and always in hindsight, we look back and we're like, yeah, I'm really glad that like, look, I think we're playing to our strengths. Like <laughs> most yeah. of the time, it's like we stayed the course. We made good decisions in our quarterly planning and annual planning cycles. And, you know, on the occasional pivot, it was for a really good reason. And it got complete buy-in from the quick starts and the implementers because the data was there to support it. And, you know, it was, went through the right communication channel so dude i don't know what we call this shiny object syndrome is is the thing i've always called it but it's a good name as any it's a good name as any man i love it if you take one thing from this rant guys who are team who's listening like take this keep doing the thing that's working unless you have a quantitative and high confidence reason not to like your default approach just be keep doing what's working so just use that as a gut check catch yourself because the things you're not doing always feel more exciting. But usually the thing that's working is probably what you need to keep doing. You take nothing else in this episode, take that. It's half the battle, man. Well said, dude. Cool. See you next Thanks time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Appreciate it. See you.